Hey, Hi, Sally. Ah. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, boy. We're both, like, chomping at the bit. <laughs> Ready to go. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Oh, I'm so good. I'm feeling a lot of feelings over here. Yeah, I think I think that's the theme of the day. Okay. As long as we're both in that space. Oh, my God. Yeah. I'm dying to tell you about tell the best thing that's happened to me. Tell me. Okay, so it's two things. Well, it's a lot of things, but I'm going to say it's two. So, yesterday, I had a date planned with two women that I don't know very well. They're both women that I've um, only hung out with and interacted with a few times, but that I really, really enjoyed. And we all wanted to see the Broadway musical Waitress. And I was like, well, let's go see it. And I have never had a more magical day in my entire mm. life. Woo. And it even started the day before. Like, I went to TKTS to see if I could get tickets. Um, and I was so nervous that they weren't going to have any. But I was just like, trust, trust, trust. And it's going to be fine. And um, I got there. And the guy was like, how about second row center? And I was like, um, <laughs> that'll do. <laughs> like, that's fine. And... So I got these tickets. They were 50% off, which was amazing. And then at the end of the show last night, um, I was like looking at the audience and I'm pretty sure that the show was completely sold out. So I don't have any mm. idea how we got second row center tickets and not just two seats, three seats. Yeah. And okay. So that was just one piece of the magic, but we hung out before we went to the show and we had lunch and they both listened to the podcast and they both have told me that the podcast has helped them. Um, mm -hmm. it was just so wonderful to hear and like being with them in person and connecting with them in person just meant so much to me. And on top of all of this, for some reason, Yesterday, I felt like I was the fullest version of myself that I've ever been in my entire life. Mm. And I don't even know. And then we just had our whole conversation about Hamilton and expectation and enjoying something and how you experience something. And the whole time the show was on, I did start crying in the very first song, obviously. And I just cried off and on the whole way through the show. And yeah. I just felt like the show itself was pure magic. I had no idea what I was getting into. Like I knew some of the music because you listen to it all the time, mm -hmm. but I did not fully comprehend the message of the show. And it's just like all about loving yourself and, mm -hmm finding your own happiness, not finding, creating your own happiness being the most important thing. And that it's something that you have to do for yourself. And I wasn't prepared. I just felt the whole time, like my heart was literally going to explode. Mm. And it was just that way the whole day. It was like the level of conversation, like, oh, Jana and Jackie, thank you so much. It was one of the most beautiful days I've ever had in my entire life. And everyone should go see Waitress because it's fucking phenomenal. Yay. Oh, and I feel really tired. I think like, <laughs> like, I don't know. It really took it out of me. Um, but anyway, that happened. Over. Yeah. 
A magic hangover. That's exactly what it feels like. Ah, it was so incredible though. And I, I wished so much that you were there because you would have just had the most amazing time. That's the only thing that could have possibly made the day any better. That and it being about 15 degrees cooler outside. (laughs) But still. um, So that's one thing. And then the other thing I have to tell you. So you know how in the last episode I was telling you that I woke up to the text from my boyfriend Mm -hmm. from college? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So everyone out there listening, we recorded that last episode only two days ago. So it's been two days since then. And this morning when I woke up, I had a text on my phone from my high school boyfriend. Hmm. Wow. Isn't that weird? What is happening? I don't know. Well, actually I do know. I, (laughs) I like how I'm like, I don't know the answer, but I really do. I, um, I've really been conscious of the fact that my next level of healing is going to be all around sex and the fullest expression of myself through my body and in my sexuality and my sensuality in every area of my life. And I, I've been opening to that idea more and more Mm -hmm. and like just kind of getting comfortable with knowing that's what I want to move into. And I think that energetically I've opened myself up to healing and receiving from these relationships that are quote unquote over, you know, Mm -hmm. but hearing from both of these men has really been a gift and it's helped me realize how much I've already healed. And that's making me feel more confident about the healing that I have left to do. So good. All right. Well, I'm, I'm exhausted. You could do this episode by yourself, right? <laughs> no, well, just now kidding. I can hear everyone. So I want that's to be good. here. <laughs> yes. Yes. So now that I've gone, tell me what's, what's the best thing that's happened to you since we last spoke. The best thing that happened to me is hanging out with Kim, my oh, friend Kim, Kim, who just moved, recently moved to LA. Um, she'll be on our next episode. Spoiler alert. I can't wait to talk to Kim. I know. I told her how excited we were and she was like thrilled. Mm -hmm. Um, and surprised. I'm always like surprised. I'm always surprised by her surprises. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but it was so good. It was really lovely. And we had a great lunch and we went to my favorite coffee shop and I took her to my favorite metaphysical shop. And it was just so nice to see her again. I hadn't seen her in a year and we're in, we realized that we were kind of in similar spaces in our lives or like how we've been feeling and how we've been relating to like what's happening with us. Um, so it was nice to like commiserate on how we've been feeling Mm. and to just like find friendship within that space and to remember that we are okay and that we've got each other and other people and life's still magical and it's great. So that was really lovely. I loved it. I love it too. Also last night's big brother episode was amazing. This is going to air so much longer, like so much further out than when this aired or the, when the big brother episode aired, but I just, so nobody's even going to know. Oh, well they'll know because of Polly Paul's, Blindside dance. That's what I'll say. I already <laughs> that that was a spoiler. So <laughs> good. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because it's so good. I don't care that I'm spoiling it for you. Oh Justin and I can't That's stop singing this song. It's so good that I don't care that I'm spoiling it for you. <laughs> it was the best episode, and Justin and I just keep singing blindsided. Oh, friendship blindsided. Oh, 
Oh you're going home. It's the best. Okay. That's it. So those are the two things that happened yesterday that I just like made my world. Uh, oh my God. I have one more quick thing that I remembered. I have to say, Oh boy. Poor so Sarah. I told you, you know, <laughs> Sarah's waiting in the wings. Our, our amazing guest. We're almost done, Sarah. I promise um, <laughs> that. So, you know, this podcast is called a year ago today. Yeah. And this morning, Jackie, one of the girls I went to waitress with yesterday, tagged me in something on Facebook. And on her Facebook feed this morning, it came up and it was like a year ago today. And it turned out that a year ago today, she was seeing waitress at the American Repertory Theater. Oh, wow. So it was almost a year to the day from when she saw it last time that we saw it together. I mean, that's amazing. I know. Especially okay. since part of why you were hanging out with them was because they're listeners of the podcast. Yeah, I know. And I had some really good podcast ideas while I was with them yesterday. So, so I'm good. excited to tell you about that later. Wonderful. Okay, but Ooh. let's get to the okay. point of why we're here. <laughs> we're here to talk to Sarah today. Hi, Sarah. Yay! Hi. <laughs> Poor Sarah. Oh. Okay, no, I'm unmuted. <laughs> yeah, you're unmuted. <laughs> oh, all right. So we're here today with Sarah um, because eight years ago today, she was at the Democratic National Convention. Huh. Which, yeah. in case you're unaware, I don't know why you wouldn't be aware. If you're eight years old. <laughs> if you're eight years old, you shouldn't be listening to this show. Cause it's just <laughs> but I think that we talk about good life lessons, so maybe you should yeah. keep listening. No, yeah, you yeah. should definitely keep listening if you're eight years old. So eight years ago, Obama <laughs> became the presidential nominee, well, the Democratic presidential nominee. Um, and Sarah had worked on the campaign. So she was at the democratic national convention, um, which is kind of magical. We just thought it was really amazing that even though it was not a year ago today, obviously we could still have this really awesome conversation about it. Mm -hmm. oh. <laughs> yeah. Especially considering what's going on right now and that Hillary was just nominated, which to me feels really, well, it just feels like maybe we might also talk about that a little. <laughs> That's yeah. Cool. A lot of, a lot of things happening all at once. Um, so Sarah, before we even say anything, yeah. before we even hear from you, um, if you could close your eyes, take yourself back. You had been working on this campaign. You were here in this really huge kind of platform and event. And in one word, how are you feeling? I was in awe mm. and it feels important to note too, that like, it's like, quote, I was working on the campaign, but like, that's actually not entirely real. <laughs> um, I was a junior in college and the like thing about the Obama campaign that like, I think that if you participated in it, you have a really keen understanding of it. And now it's like eight years later and it's very easy to kind of be like, oh yeah, there was this campaign happening. But it was like, there were like, I like don't even know if I'm going to have words to talk about this, but there were people from every walk of life who more or less put those lives on hold um, to participate in this larger thing. And mm -hmm. so I was one of those. So I was like, a junior in college, skipping classes to go knock on doors, 
skipping classes to like fly to Wisconsin to go knock on doors. Um, and also just feeling very empowered by the people that I was working with. Um, I was 20 years old, <laughs> 19 at one point when this was all happening. And the adults in the room were so willing to not only hear me out, but like empower me to not only speak my truth, but speak on behalf of the campaign. So I was like giving speeches. I was talking to media and I was talking, um, very acutely about what it meant to me as a young person. This is my first time getting involved in the political process. I was crazy inspired by Barack Obama. Mm -hmm. And I threw my whole heart and soul into this effort. Um, and then he got, a, a, he got elected as in the primary. So I was living in New York, which, um, you know, as you know, is the state that Hillary Clinton was from. And so like, we formed this community there. We were just these like, mostly kids or like, people who were grownups, but like very young at heart. And we just had so much fun um, creating this thing that made an impact. Um, and so the Democratic National Convention was happening. And there's a few ways to go um, officially. You can go as a delegate. You can go as part of a state's delegation. I went because my boss at the time, I was working at an internet consulting firm, had watched me grow um, mm -hmm with the campaign and was like, you should be there. Mm. <laughs> and so she wrote me a check and I booked a ticket and I ended up in Denver. I had no credentials. <laughs> I had <laughs> no idea what I was doing. I had friends that I knew from New York. We were all there together. Um, but I was like not there in any kind of official capacity. And throughout the week, there were people who just like helped me, like both members of delegations, friends of mine helped me get credentials. So I got to be in the room and watch history as it was happening. And so uh, it feels important to note that because it's like, I didn't work on the campaign. Well, I mean, I, but you did. I mean, everything yeah. you just described, I'm like, uh, <laughs> that's like that's when people fine. say, I'm not a writer because I haven't published a book. Uh, <laughs> that's fine. But it feels important because it's like, I was just a kid who was like willing to throw myself into this thing. And I was so supported. I found such great community. Um, and so, you know, the day that Obama accepted the nomination, I was in the stadium in Denver. There are thousands of American flags flying in the air. And I also want to note, at the time, I wasn't a U.S. citizen, mm -hmm. um, not for, like, nefarious reasons or whatever but like people talk about immigration reform it's so real that our immigration system is broken to the point where it took my family 20 plus years to become citizens and so I was like I came to America when I was two and so um there was just so much about that moment that was crazy mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm just standing in this room and I'm crying um and it's just been, and like, I, I got my American citizenship is either the day before or the day after Obama gave his first state of the union address. And so mm. it's been this like really powerful, um, introduction into the American political process and into like these hosts of issues, like areas of areas of policy that I've been exposed to over the years since then, um, and so I was just in awe. I just couldn't believe I was there. I 
you know, I'm going to shout out Anne, um, my boss at the time who helped me get there. Um, and like all the people that I met that were just so like, so generous, um, with themselves, not only in their interactions with me, but like, it's a really big thing. There's like this really beautiful intention behind involving yourself in a political process because everybody there is there because they believe that they have the capacity to make things better for other people. And they believed that this campaign was an outlet towards doing that. And so you can't, you can't adequately summarize what that means and what that looks like. Um, and like how beautiful it is to be a part of that. Mm. And oh. so I have like that's... so many, <laughs> I'm like kind of bawl my eyes out. <laughs> it's okay if you cry. I'm like, and it's okay if I cry. I might. This is it's this this is being human and like living life and recognizing. I like jinxed it by saying that. It's like there's a lot of good. It's like there's so much, um, I feel really overwhelmed by the energy of this moment. Like there's so much magic and grace, it sounds like, that got you to that moment in that place. Yeah. And there's so much, I mean, to throw yourself into this political process, it's so much about faith and trust in the system and in, in something bigger than you, something that's completely out of your control. Mm -hmm. And I've never, ever thought about the way that parallels, you know, kind of having faith in the divine. Yeah. And also what it means to like be a part of something. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I don't even... Um I don't, <laughs> I'm just like, we had, it's so funny for everybody listening. We had a lot of like technical trouble getting, getting started today. And I'm just like, oh my God, it's cause there's so much energy mm-hmm. here. Yeah. yeah. Like, I, I, <laughs> what are we even talking about? You know, like, <sighs> is there yeah. a particular I want to know if there's like a particular thought that stands out to you from that memory of being in that stadium as Obama was accepting the nomination. Hmm. Um, God. I mean, like, it's so funny because I can, I feel my mind wanting to, and that's why, like, this is an interesting thing to talk about and I'm going to be emotional. It's okay. I'm like not upset about it. It's like, (laughs) (laughs) this is who I am. Like I feel things deeply and I'm so grateful, um, for this experience. I feel myself wanting to look at it through the lens of all the things I know now. Mm. Um, which like, in some ways taints it, but I I just know that at the time I just felt so 
like validated mm. and vindicated and just like open because mm. like that wasn't supposed to happen you know <laughs> <laughs> it's like we weren't supposed to win like that was not supposed to be the the end result um and i caught you know i opened up to the idea of an obama presidency in 2007 so like really early i was like this is this is like a thing <laughs> <laughs> and like all the people in my life were like well no he's not going to win like this is like it's a yeah. thing but it's a novelty and so I believed so strongly then, and I, like, found ways to involve myself in the campaign. And I was, like, getting into all sorts of stuff. I was making fundraising videos <laughs> that now are just embarrassing. <laughs> um, and so it was just doing all these things that were counter to the things that I would later come to find out comprised political campaigns. You know, it was just, we were just a bunch of really um, optimistic and creative and scrappy people who mm -hmm. took the, took what we knew and invested that perspective, our different perspectives into this campaign. And so we were never supposed to win. That wasn't supposed to happen. Mm -hmm. And so to stand there on the other side of winning and to have experienced everything that happened before that point. Cause it was, it's like so easy to kind of forget, but like, it wasn't easy. Yeah. <laughs> there was so much thrown at, you know, candidate Barack Obama, um, that exposed kind of the underbelly of American politics. And we've seen a lot of that continue to come to the surface. And so like, I remember watching him give, a speech on race. Um, and like just prior to that speech having taken place, there was, you know, he's being attacked for things that his pastor had said. Um, and I had so many moments of just like, this isn't going to happen. Mm -hmm. And then something would follow that moment up. He would like rise to the occasion. Mm -hmm. Um, and It'd be like, no, wait, this can actually happen. And it was just, it was so emotional <laughs> and so, like, intense. And so to have known that all of that happened and to, I, like, all that I did that entire spring and summer in 2008 was read about news, uh, you know, absorb everything that was happening and, like, do the things that I could do to... Uh, impact the outcome and so just to be standing there and I was there <laughs> like it's just there's just nothing about any of this that like my brain could process um it was just I just couldn't believe that I was there um and I couldn't believe that this thing had happened and I believed with my whole heart that a Barack Obama presidency was going to positively impact the country. And not only that, 
but I was going to help. And so, um, just to be standing in that room, I was so, I just felt so vindicated. Um, and so like, I'm realizing I'm like taking a long time to say it again, but I just, I really felt this. I felt so just on the verge of getting to participate in a really epic transformation for the country. And so that's what I was feeling. (laughs) Um, I'm not even sure what question to ask because I have a sense um, I don't know a lot about your experience with this but I have a sense that now when you, when you look at the experience from this vantage point that it feels a little fraught yeah. well yeah I mean I could talk about that <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I can talk mean, about that I'm curious to know I mean, what happened next? He got elected. He got elected. Um, I became a U.S. citizen, so that was exciting. Mm -hmm. With my mom, Um, that was really emotional. And, like, in the interview questions, because you get interviewed and you have to be tested on, um, like, there's questions about American government and American history. Uh, And so one of my final questions before becoming a citizen was, who's the president of the United States? And I got to proudly respond, (laughs) Barack Obama. (laughs) Um, And it's just, so that happened. I graduated from college. I worked in New York for a little bit before moving to DC to work for a nonprofit um, that is like perceived as the the progressive think tank um, of the DC nonprofit world. And so, you know, I got to, I got to like literally put my money where my mouth was and go to DC and try and help this guy do all these things he said he was going to do. Um, and it was hard. It's like still hard. Um, cause, and like, I want to stipulate that people are complicated. Government is complicated. Um, trying to do the right thing is complicated. And so I can appreciate all of that. And I can, like, hold space for all of that. And I can still be disappointed um, with the way the last eight years have gone. I can, it's complicated. I feel so many things. And I can be very proud in one moment. And in the next moment, I can be like, well, (laughs) like, what's up with, what's up with saying this thing? What's up with passing this policy? What's up with ignoring this thing? Um, And so... There was, like, a retort that the president, the now president, said as a candidate where it's like, you know, I can quote, I can quote everything. Uh, you know, <laughs> I know you didn't do this for me. <laughs> you did this because you believe in the most American of ideals that people who love their country can change it. And that was so true for me. And so the campaign was this epic force. It was a force that made the impossible happen. And... When the campaign ended, there were efforts to turn the Obama campaign into an organizing arm for the president's, like, for the presidency. And it was tucked inside the DNC. And I saw, 
as this really powerful organizing arm was like just allowed to falter Hmm. like there was just I know that there could have been a way to leverage all of that power which is what it was into getting policies passed and like healthcare was passed and organizing for America participated in that but like there was more that could have been asked of all of those people who helped the president get elected. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I went to DC, I worked for a think tank. And even then I just got to see up close how like power is, I don't even have a word for it. Just like there's so many interests. There's like the, impact and the influence of special interests is like a real thing. Um, wanting to, and like, I'm a bit of a, if I want to do something, I want to do something. And so working in the nonprofit world was hard for two reasons. Primarily, I would say one of them is the way that nonprofits are funded, like inevitably results in stifling collaboration between nonprofits that share interests that are aligned in their missions. So if you're worried about, you know, if I, if I help them do this, then they're going to get funding and I'm not going to get funding. Then ultimately what's going to happen is that the people that everybody is serving are the ones that are going to be negatively impacted. And so that's a real thing. The way that we um, fund and empower institutions that are trying to help people is so messed up. And, like, that was endlessly frustrating to me because I just wanted to work with people and, like, make things happen. Um, and then I'll side – go ahead. I was going to say, that's so interesting. I worked for a nonprofit also when I moved to New York. And yeah. I mean, I don't know what the next thing you were going to say is, so you might be about to say exactly what I was going to say, but maybe not. I was going to say um, not only is it, like, stifling the collaboration, but it's also you become so aware of what little headway you're making. It's just like you're so aware of all the problems and all the things that you're trying to fix. And you're so aware of how little you can do. Yeah, exactly. Just like that becomes your day in and your day out. Mm -hmm. And actually, I do want to know, because you don't work there anymore, right? No. (laughs) I want to know in a moment how that journey came to an end. Because mine... I was working for a relief and development agency and it got to the point where I was like having nightmares about hurricanes and earthquakes and tornadoes. And I, oh, and I think it was not just because that was what I was around, but also because everything felt so futile. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. I mean, and I want to like, there are people, so the, organization that I worked for was the youth arm of a, this larger think tank. So we primarily worked with young people. We worked on behalf of advocating for issues that would positively impact the lives of young people. And there were people that I worked with that had been there for five, six years, and they are incredible. <laughs> they are so resilient. I did not have that in me. <laughs> um, I made it about a year. <laughs> and, you know, it was just, it got, and so the other thing um, that, made that experience difficult is that you're also like 
mired in institutions. And then if we do this thing, it's going to make this person mad. And if we Mm -hmm. do this thing, it's going to make that person mad. And so for me, it all felt um, just like I was struggling to like feel authentic in the midst of this and to be able to do things that, you know, to be able to contribute my perspective in a way that felt like it was both helpful um, and like also moving the needle on behalf of like actual concrete change. And so like I was able to, um, I worked with the video editor, Tara, who's incredible. And we like made a lot of cool things together and in collaboration with everyone else on the team, like I had a lot of fun. Like I want to make sure and say everything (laughs) I've done, I've had a lot of fun. I met a lot of amazing people. Um, I'm so grateful for all of that. And yet it felt like we were able to like spit, spit, nope, throw (laughs) spitballs and like make some noise, but it didn't feel like it was actually contributing to changing tangible things. And so I got out of there. Um, After a year, I moved back to New York. I started consulting. And then a few years after that point, I found music and Mm. I now live and work as a musician. I live in Los Angeles. Um, That's like a whole long other story because that's also been incredibly magical. Um, And I think it's like, I want to, when I was a little girl, I like felt this very strong, very um, like forward in my consciousness calling draw intention of like doing a lot of good for a lot of people. And so when I was really little, I'd look out into the world and I would see people who were actresses and actors, you know, they would gain a lot of influence, earn a lot of money and then do good in the world. And so when I was little, I wanted to be an actress for that reason. Mm. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, cool. If I want to like help a lot of people, I just it's have like, to be an actress. So not the typical reason that someone usually wants to be an actress. <laughs> I mean, to be fair though, I also, I did acting classes. I really loved acting too, but my intention was, okay, cool. This is going to be the thing. And I'm from Ethiopia. So I was like, I'm just going to make a lot of money and I'm going to help Ethiopia when I grow up. Mm. And so my introduction to the Obama campaign was the first time that, literally the first time that I was like, oh, wait, politics, cool. I'm going to, like, go into politics, and then it's going to be through the political process that I can help a lot of people. And then that totally, I was like, no, this is too hard. <laughs> um, this is, like, too stifling. And then I think in the years that followed me leaving D.C. the first time, I a lot happened, um, a lot of hard, like, challenging really look at myself and look at my life and look at what I want to be doing stuff happened. And through that, what really crystallized for me is that, Oh, if I help myself, if I answer my heart's callings, if I do what brings me joy, if I live authentically as myself, then at that point, I can like be good in myself. And from that point, I can do a lot of good in the world and help a lot of people. And so music was this magical thing that woke me up to myself. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And so the last few years, I've it's been hard because on the one hand, there's so much happening that like I see it, I see it, and I feel it, and I want to react to all of it. But it's like, no, I've already done the thing in the past. And the Obama campaign, to a certain extent, was this too because I went I went into a lot of debt. Like I worked, for, like I didn't get paid for anything, which is fine. It's not about the money, but not being able to support myself while I'm like running around the country is like ridiculous. <laughs> like that's just not the right way to do things. And I learned that the hard way. Um, and so the last couple of years have really been an exercise in feeding myself, like feeding my heart, feeding my soul, getting resourced and feeling supported in the work that I'm doing in the world. And then from that point, creating a strong enough foundation and creating a like ground for me to walk on. And then from that point, I can do a lot of good in the world and help a lot of people. And so that's like, it's been a long road, (laughs) (laughs) like, but it's also been a really magical one. Um, And it's from, and I'm so like everything that happened before this helped me get to that point. And I'm also at a point now where, Like, I can look at someone like President Obama and recognize that we're on two different trajectories, you know? So everything he's doing and everything he's learning, because everybody's learning and doing and evolving and growing, is contributing to his ongoing ability to do a lot of good and help a lot of people. And in the same way, my path is separate. And so... I feel like that's important to note because it's so easy to take other people's failings personally mm. and to like be hurt by it. And I have been, I've like, you know, this was the Obama campaign was a really meaningful um, chapter of my life. And so it's just been interesting to like kind of unravel from all of it and to unravel from everything else, like all other aspects of my identity. Cause like, again, I was really young when this all happened and I was like getting attention and being, doing things on TV and people thought I had an opinion worth hearing and that's fine. And that's great. And I, like all that happened. And yet at the same time, I was also really learning a lot about myself and learning a lot about, you know, humility <laughs> and, mm-hmm you know, how to do things graciously and gracefully and intentionally. Um, and so unraveling from like all of the attention that I got or like all of the expectations that might've been placed on me and like just deciding that I wasn't obligated to any of it. Like I didn't have to, there was like no set path for my life that had to happen as a result of me having done any of the things I've ever done Um, and being able to start over, which is literally what I ultimately did. And like doing it with the wisdom of all the ways that I'd failed previously. And so I don't even know what I'm talking about anymore, (laughs) but (laughs) it's so, it's so gorgeous because I think that are there two main things that are really coming through for me? And one is, having the strength and the courage to look at where you are and to say, you know what? This doesn't feel good anymore. Mm -hmm. And 
yes, I've invested so much here, but nothing is ever lost. Mm -hmm. And I can't do this anymore because it doesn't feel good. And so I need to find my other path. Right. The other thing that I really just keep thinking is I, as you're speaking, I am having so much empathy for your experience, but also like for Obama and hearing you talk about how, how political politics are and how hard it is to get things done and how you felt like within that framework, you couldn't live an authentic life. And I was just sitting here being like, God, like, I really think that Barack Obama is a very special soul and I believe in him deeply as a human, even though he may not have accomplished everything that I hoped he would or wished he would or expected him to. And to just take a moment to think about like what it must feel like to him to try to live as authentically as possible with all of the constraints on him and all of the obstacles he faces. And uh, I really feel, I think I'm probably less aware of the minutiae and all of the details than you are, Sarah, but I, I really feel like with everything he's facing and all of the pushback that he has been able to maintain a level of authenticity that I see when he speaks and despite any shortcomings that he has done a damn good job. Yeah. I mean, I still love Barack Obama as a human being. I genuinely and truly do. Um, and that's why it makes it easy to be hurt by him. Mm -hmm. Um, and yet if there is anything that I believe that our politics, uh, and our government could use more of its compassion. Mm -hmm. And so it's easy to be, you know, part of a citizenry and to be like to our elected leaders, like, you're wrong for this, and you're wrong for that, and you're wrong for that, and you're not doing this, and you haven't done that. Um, and, like, doing that, I, I can't imagine that it, it's like it creates this environment, and our political environment right now, I could go on about that, but it's like this environment predicated on fear and distrust, and everybody's closed, and everybody is, like, um, hurt. Well, it's like almost exactly the opposite energy of the energy that I feel like got him elected. No, totally. It literally is. Well, and the other interesting thing is, you know, you're talking about how this powerful group of people that helped get him into office that then got folded into DNC. And I, I just had the thought and the awareness like, oh, he didn't get elected by himself. It took so much support. Yeah. And then he gets into office and all that support not immediately, but you know, it vanishes. No, totally. And so he's like catapulted to this position and poised to make all of this amazing change. And then the amount of support that got him to where he is, is all of a sudden gone. And yet we still expect him to make miracles happen. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, you know, maybe he could have made more miracles if the people that elected had stayed engaged. 
uh, that had elected him had stayed engaged because I know that you're saying like how much you did, but I don't think that that's the norm. And I also want to take a minute to thank you because I am someone who's not super engaged in the political process. And I don't necessarily love that about myself, but it really takes a special human to not even be a citizen of this country and be so invested and, and to carry that forward into your professional life and, Like, that's a level of commitment that I don't think a lot of people have. Mm -hmm. So I want to say thank you for being the person that you are. Thanks. But I do want to (laughs) say, you said a thing about OFA, and I'm still, it wasn't that people no longer were engaged. And I do receive what you just said, Tyler. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, thank you. Um, It was, we got abandoned. (laughs) Yeah, there wasn't like an avenue. No, and no, there was an avenue, but they just, the word that, they like cut the arms off of it. And I will say too that like, you know, there's me, but there was 13, it was 13 million people. I'm pretty sure I wrote that down at some point. There was like, it wasn't just me. And that's the thing that made it so awe inspiring for me is I had all these thoughts of like, well, I'm the only person who feels this way. And then I entered into this campaign environment where there were so many other people who felt this way Mm -hmm. and who dropped everything. And so it's like the notion that like it was a few of us or like, like there was just, I can't even begin to explain how many people I met. And that's just my experience. I'm just one person. And I met these people in Pennsylvania and Maryland and Wisconsin And I had other friends who were like doing, like going across the country on their own dime. So it's like, it's just so interesting to me because I definitely, uh, and especially when I moved to DC, I had all these big ideas of how to get people engaged. And when I got there, I realized all these ideas are being implemented in some Mm -hmm. way, shape, or form. Like I wasn't coming up with anything original. And so it's so easy to, fall into the like trap of thinking that like nobody's engaged but that's not true it's just literally not true and even like me being special like I'm me and that's fine and there's like gonna be certain ways that I can contribute that are unique to me and yet I fully believe with my whole entire heart that that is true for every single person in this country and that there are so many people who are doing such incredible work that I could never replicate. And so if anything, what the entire experience taught me is that there is like room to have faith in each other Mm. and room to have faith in the fact that what I'm doing is unique to me. What someone else is doing is unique to them. And so I don't need to compete with them. I don't need to like re to like replicate what they've done. Like, if you feel inspired to work on behalf of an issue, like, find an organization, find a group of people that are working on it, and contribute your uniqueness to them, as opposed to, like, everybody starting a new a new thing up. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It's It feels important to say that, because it's like, if anything, what I became so aware of is how many people care, and how many people make themselves available to, like, doing the work. And how many people start from nothing other than like a feeling in their heart that they can make it better and build, they build organizations, they build 
organizing infrastructure. They like organize on behalf of policy locally, regionally, nationally, and they get things done. And so the Obama campaign really opened me up to um, just the recognition that like people say that like, oh, no one's involved. Nobody cares. But like, that's not real. That's just mm-hmm. not a real statement. Well, I think and I that- do. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, I think the interesting thing is, you know, I was talking about he got there and then was like the support abandoned him and you were like, no, that's not true. And I actually completely agree, but it's almost like the way that's getting someone elected is a really easy way to be engaged. And then like just in the system Mm -hmm. that there's not an easy, clear cut way to make a difference, you know, in terms of talking about like, okay, and there's all these competing interests and it's like that feeling that you're talking about, about nothing. What did you just say? It was like something about what someone else can do doesn't take away from what I can do. Right. Like that, that's the energy that somehow needs to be amplified. No, totally. In order for people to stay engaged, because I think it's that feeling that like, ugh, well, my organization's not making a difference because all the money's going to that organization over there that makes people disengage. Yeah. And then it's not like Obama was abandoned. It's maybe abandoned is not even the right word, but I'm thinking it's also, it's almost like mutual abandonment. Both sides feel let down. Maybe, but again, (laughs) I can't stress how much. On the Obama campaign, there was a lot of hand-holding. Like, we, like it was my first time being involved in a political process, and the campaign facilitated that by, like, being very um, hands-on in terms of, like, this is what a delegate is. This is what a superdelegate is. This is what you can do to, like, work the system in order to ensure that we win. And by work the system, I mean, you know, winning certain... States in the primaries, some of them had more delegates. Caucus states had more delegates. So you could literally organize in order to win those states. And as a result of winning those states, you're better suited to win the election. It was just like creating a strategy. And so I actually think that there's tons of ways that they could have created a strategy around organizing around policy issues, because fundamentally what moves elected officials to act on behalf of policies that you and I, we care about is when they're citizens when they're the people that they represent call them. And so I think there is no shortage of ways that they could have been like, all right, we're going to call, we're going to bombard the Senate offices of these senators who are going to not going to pass this legislation uh, on clean energy. We're going to bombard them with phone calls and we're going to identify our power as a citizenry. We're going to leverage that. And by leveraging that, that power is going to be equivalent to like the power of special interests and people that are throwing money at these senators. Cause fundamentally people are the ones that vote people in and out of office. It's like us. And so I just think that, and maybe there is like a lack of understanding of it or like the people who did understand it and who did it in the campaign left, which is like things I've read. And I also have read that like Rahm Emanuel, white house chief of staff didn't believe in the power of the email lists. And so that's part of the reason why they were never tapped, but just because I believe that the Obama administration didn't fully recognize and know how to leverage the power of its support. And I also think that like, it's a lot of people. And so we also have conflicting ideas of what to act on. And that might've also resulted in like paralysis. Um, 
Cause it's like, well, how do you get all these people to agree on the best way forward? And so like, ultimately I don't know anymore if like a similar kind of situation is going to result where someone gets elected with huge support of people who helped elect them and you can leverage that power to create citizen power. Like it's going to be something completely different. Like ultimately when we're talking about a, a country where, you know, the people feel empowered and that power is organized and targeted and capable of changing the opinions of elected officials, like it's going to look completely different. Mm-hmm. But I do think, and I keep saying this because it's just, I was ready to go. <laughs> I was waiting for orders. And it wasn't just me. There were so many of us who were like, cool, what are we going to do in the administration? How are we going to help get things passed? And we were just, nobody ever called. <laughs> or if they did, it was like to clean up Democratic phone lists. Like, there's just, there's one thing I feel strongly. It's that the power of the Obama coalition that elected him uh, just was never fully tapped. Well, I think though that that's, I've always had the impression, and I think you just hearing you speak has been reinforcing it for me, that what got him elected was this community organizing mindset. Mm-hmm. And that's really powerful and huge. And it taught us, if nothing else, that it can be used for something much bigger than mobilizing a small community, <laughs> which Absolutely. like people always believed, but we hadn't put into practice. But I think that that then really bumped up against, well, how does that fit into politics and people believing that it could, and I still think that it can, but I think that it would need to be shifted. And it's almost like there wasn't enough time to shift that. Like we would have maybe needed, I'm going to make up a number, but like nine months to like, be like, okay, cool. So how can we apply community organizing to this specific presidency in a way that is really supportive and allows people to take action and come up with ideas and try them out and make change. And if it doesn't make change, then like adjust and all of these things, it's like trying to teach an entire nation to be grassroots organizers. And that's huge. I mean, (laughs) there are people who don't even believe that that's possible. They like don't even believe in the concept of grassroots organizing. And then to try to bring that to a whole nation or even half of the nation um, it just seems so huge. I feel like that's what I was kind of trying to say is that like that the having that kind of community involvement that got him elected, I think is unprecedented and maybe not, I don't know, I'm young. Um, but it's not something that's, well, again, I don't know. I don't know, but like, that's okay. There's not having that many people that care that much and that want to be so strongly engaged, there's not a built in way that has happened in our political system before. So I like what Sally was just saying is like, it's like they needed to completely rethink how to, how to game the political system of the United States, not just to get someone elected. I feel like that's Mm -hmm. the easy part and they know how to do that. And that's why it happened. See, this is what this is to, 
they decided not to do that. Yeah, totally. I like fully yeah. believed that they were going to. I and I went and I knocked yeah. on people's doors and I was like, if you like, if you elect Barack Obama, you not only get him, but you get me. And like, <laughs> we're gonna transform. I really did. It's like, I just love you so much. <laughs> I was like, we're gonna transform how government works. And there's all sorts of organizations who are really effective at advocating on behalf of policies and mm-hmm. who have really engaged memberships uh, that they can leverage to like lobby elected officials like this exists. Mm -hmm. There's no, and there's just no shortage of things they could have studied and things they could have done to transform the way that government works. Mm -hmm. They decided not to do that. Yeah, no, I totally agree. It's just like, I haven't thought about it in so long. (laughs) Like how strongly I like recognize that community organizing was the thing. It was the thing. It was the only strategy (laughs) was we're just going to do community organizing, but on the biggest level that it's been done so far. And then we're going to see what happens. And then it happened. It worked. And then people were like, Oh wait, now what? Now what do we do? (laughs) They should have been like, I mean, I mean, if we could go back and choose the way the Obama administration would have moved forward from then, it would have been like, Hey, you know what? That worked great in the election. So let's make that our main strategy going forward. Yeah. And I think that like, yeah. And I think it's like partially conflicting ideas and just conflicting. I think that it's the same problem that would have, but we would have run into potentially with like Sanders being the nominee. And Uh like, that's not to say like that I'm against Sanders as a nominee, but I think it's like, it would have been interesting to see how it would have played out because I think it would have I don't think that we have yet evolved. And I think that it's happening now. I think that because Sanders wasn't (laughs) the chosen nominee, then it's like helping us evolve because if nothing else, it's really teaching people these ins and outs of like, this is what it means to be a political campaign. This is what delegates are like the same thing that you're talking about, that the Obama campaign was so good at teaching people about like, there are still so many people who have no idea whether because, you know, maybe because they weren't voting age. I know we just got interrupted and had to take a little break, but Sally, to your point about Bernie Sanders, um, I actually think that's why it's like, and again, I wanted to say that if Barack Obama had lost eight years ago, I would have been devastated and beyond console. Mm -hmm. Um, And so if there are Bernie Sanders supporters hearing this, like, I feel that I hear, like, I, I, I don't mean this in a like, I don't say this to discount that, but a part of me, having known what I know and having experienced what I experience, wonder if it's not the worst thing in the world that mm-hmm. he didn't win. Because mm-hmm. um, I, I really do think that having that kind of political power uh, outside of an institution is like necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm optimistic as to what it means and what it looks like to have that many people who believe so strongly in the power of, you know, the political process. And they didn't get the person that they wanted in charge, but in some ways that means he's not going to be compromised. Um, and so in some ways I'm excited for them. And I say like, I like have had a hard time this election cycle because I'm pretty disillusioned and finding, um, just trying to find where I fit and, what I think and doing in a way that feels both authentic and in integrity, um, which is a really important thing to me. And which is why I would have never succeeded in any sort of like, like there's just no way that I could have done 
politics in isolation from like everything else in the long term because um, I, I very much believe in the fact that I am growing, I'm changing, I'm evolving all the time. I'm very committed to that process. And that might mean that I'll say something right now and tomorrow I'll have access to new information that warrants seriously looking at what I said and what I believe and, and adjusting and changing and growing. And like, um, well, I think if everyone was willing to do that, that the state of our political system would be better. Mm -hmm. But I don't think, I mean, (laughs) that's like the problem Um, or they'll just like say one thing one day and one thing the next day and not even address the fact that it's different opinion. And I think that's equally dangerous. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's so stupid because it's just like, it's fine to be a human being. The idea that like, yeah, just like I, I learned something new. I met something new. I interacted with someone who has a completely different experience than I do. And like my truth is contained by my experience. And so the more I experience, the more people that I meet, the more that my, my, I allow my truth to be challenged because if I don't, then it's like, like I'm, I'm interested in like being honest with myself Mm -hmm. and like, you know, reacting and, and acting from a place of honesty and with intention. And so if I meet someone and they tell me this is what's real for me, and it's so outside the scope of what I've ever experienced, then like, I want to at least listen to them mm-hmm. and like figure out what's mine, what's theirs, what I believe, like how, what they've said contributes to my foundation of knowledge and life. Um, it's like, it's way, I just, you know, well, but I think it's also worth mentioning, like how many people not even talking about politics, but how many people do not live life that way. Like you want to talk about like the people who are supporting Trump right now. And it's like so fear based. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is like the kind of person who is like, absolutely not. I'd have no interest in hearing what anyone else has to say. And my truth is my truth and it will never change. Yeah. Right. And I think like the scary thing about what's going on right now is like, who are these people? There seem right. to be quite a few of them. Right. <laughs> like, I don't personally know any, but, like, I don't know how we're in the place that we're in. But I do kind of think that it's a good sign because to have two, well, to have that kind of fear on such a main stage right now, mm-hmm. I think is a really good sign that we're moving in the right direction. Because it's oh, the totally. same thing as, like, when resistance comes up inside your personal experience, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. when a lot of fear comes up inside of me, it tends to be a sign that mm-hmm. I'm moving in the right direction. So although it's like super uncomfortable right now in America, I'm like, hopefully it's a sign mm-hmm. that we're on the verge of a shift right? and hopefully like a healing. Right. I mean, please God, fingers crossed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited to talk about this. <laughs> Just for the record, I really am. And it, it's like taken a long time to get to this place where I can be really excited to talk about this. But it's like after expansion, there's contraction. Mm-hmm. That's just the reality. And so I feel a few ways about this. Um, well, tell us some of them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> okay. So Donald Trump. 
I want to first start off by like, I have a, this might take me a little while to get to what I'm trying to say. I watched an episode of some late night show or some clip where Deepak Chopra, who's like a deeply spiritual man, Hmm, was asked about, yeah, Mm -hmm. was asked about Donald Trump and he responded that like Trump was beyond redemption. Hmm. And I like, that surprises me. Yeah. Right. A little bit. No. And I was, I was similarly surprised by that because Trump represents a very real portion of the population. And if I look at this from the vantage point of love, which is hard to do <laughs> sometimes because it's so easy just to take it personally and be like, you guys don't see me. You guys don't care about the things that I care about in my existence. And like, but like, if I take a step back and look at this from the vantage point of love, Trump supporters feel loved by this person. Mm-hmm. Um, if I take a step back and look at this from the vantage point of white supremacy, which is a real thing that our country, I think is ultimately like, this is what we're grappling with. Then I view, if I look at white supremacy through love, then I view white supremacy as the attempt to love oneself through the subjugation, domination, and destruction of other people. Mm-hmm. You just gave me chills. <laughs> Well, it's just, I mean, like, this is what it is. And so in some ways, when I look at what Trump is doing from that perspective, it doesn't discount, and like white supremacy more generally, it doesn't discount the impact that it's having because it's real. Like people are dying and those deaths are being brushed to the side and like not adequately, like justice continues to evade us because there is this deep-rooted belief that our country was founded on where some people were capable of enslaving, dominating, colonizing other people and their destruction was warranted because it was a way to make them feel more powerful, more loved, more, more better. Hmm. Um, but when you look at it like that, then the reality remains that white supremacy only exists as a result of black pain. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they need us. Trump supporters need us to be angry at. They need us to exist and to be better than us. And not. And I don't want to say all Trump supporters because I don't think that everybody is, you know, there's clearly been a pattern of... Um, trying to delegitimize entire groups of people, delegitimizing the president of the United States, um, delegitimizing Kazir Khan, which is, who is such a beautiful man and said such a beautiful thing. And for people then to like react to him by equating him to a terrorist when his son died fighting for this country, like all of that is happen happening. And I believe that it's happening because these people are looking for something to be wrong so that they can be right. Mm -hmm. And so I spent a lot of, time and I to this day I like grapple with this because the reality is that there's a lot of pain in the world and a lot of this pain is facilitated by people trying to find wholeness for themselves Mm -hmm. and I too am trying to find wholeness in myself which is why when I hear someone say something offensive about black women when I when I see the ways in which uh America um ways in which our culture continues to like 
stereotype and characterize people of color, like I, I get triggered by it because I'm still trying to be okay by myself. Like I'm still trying to find love in myself. And so, uh, another lesson that I've learned over the last several years and that I'm still learning every single day is that my only obligation to white supremacy is to love myself and to find wholeness in myself in its presence. Whereas previously I thought I was responsible for fighting it, but it's not my fight because I can't help people love themselves. Yeah. I just can't do it. You're I can, blowing my mind. <laughs> <laughs> I can have compassion for them and I have compassion for Donald Trump. I do. And I can also say that part of what fascinates me about Trump, because I'm like all up in this election in a way that's probably not healthy every day. I'm like, I shouldn't be reading this much. But I think part of why I am so fascinated by it is because Trump is a mirror for the country. Yeah, totally. We see in him and judge him for the things that we see in ourselves. So I'll give you an example. Trump takes things very personally. And I can watch him take something personally and I can be like, like, oh, I can't believe he's doing that. Can you believe that he said that? But if I'm honest with myself, there are times where I take things personally. Mm-hmm. There are times where I'll email someone and they don't write me back. And so I, in my head, I'm like, well, I'm never going to work with them again or yeah. they don't see me. So I'm never, they're never going to get my time again. And so Trump does that in a really vocal, very public way. And we're all like, I can't believe he did that. Mm-hmm. But it's like, I think if we're honest with ourselves, the things that he does represents patterns that we all hold in some capacity. Um, And so that's been interesting to me. And I just want to, I like really do believe in my heart that there is a future in which, and I don't know if this is the future we're going to get to, but there's a future in which Donald Trump can do a lot of good in the world. Um, I think that I can't imagine like what brought him to this point where he is this angry Mm -hmm. and like this intent on um, just dehumanizing entire groups of people and feeling so righteous in in the effort to do that. Um, But I know how, I know how it ends when you're looking for love outside of yourself, because I've, I've rock bottomed out as a result Mm -hmm. of having done the same thing. I know where that goes. And I know that the only place to go from there is like an evaluation of, what's going on in, in the slow uh, and painful, but also like really joyous work of like re-knowing yourself and re like getting to a point where you are your own validation and you are your own support system and you are your own mirror where you see yourself. It doesn't matter if anybody else doesn't see you. Who cares? You see yourself. Because at the end of the day, so much of the, the pain and the struggle and the suffering we experience comes from the voice in our head who's saying that we're wrong for this, who's saying that we're, like, unloved for this. And, like, when you can make peace with that aspect of yourself, then you can, like, just be a different kind of presence in the world. And so I, don't, I do not believe that Donald Trump is beyond redemption. I'm rooting for his redemption. I really am. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that when we tell ourselves that he's beyond redemption, that we're also discounting all the people who see him as a source of love for themselves. And I just, I'm rooting for them all. I hope they figure it out. (laughs) I hope, and I can't state enough that like, when I care about, you know, the impact of 
American institutions the disproportionately negative impact of American institutions on black and brown people. When I care about disenfranchised groups, I'm not trying to take anything from anybody who is not of those groups. It's like, and there's such a lack mentality to that because mm. it's like the Trump campaign slogan is like taking our country back. It's like, from what? Mm-hmm. From who? Well, I just, I just don't, I do not um, find any truth in a reality in which there are scarce and limited resources and that we all have to fight to the death to get them. I think that I can live a joyful and beautiful life and still wish that for every single person that I come in contact with. Mm -hmm. And I can set boundaries to make that life one where I feel respected and I feel seen and I feel, you know, safe. And I'm not taking anything from anyone by doing that. I have no desire to take anything from anyone. I just don't have any desire at all. Um, I am interested in being really honest. And this is something that I want to say, like when you think of spiritual communities, like it, there's a, I come across this notion of like dealing with suffering or seeing the suffering is like somehow anti-spiritual. And I just don't believe that at all. I think that healing requires honesty and we have an obligation to see each other just to see each other and to like find truth in everything that exists and find ways to like just contribute to making the world a more loving one. Uh, you can't do that if you refuse to see what exists. Mm-hmm. This conversation is like, radically changing the way I am understanding the world that we're living in right now. Like, you're going to talk about like demonizing entire groups of people. It's like, that's not, this is not the only place that this is happening. That's like radical Islam. Mm -hmm, Totally. Terrorism. I believe the same thing about terrorism. Yeah. And you've so effectively shifted like how I'm able to understand these things and to look at it truly through, um, a lens of love, which I think is something that I've been attempting to do, but I've not been quite able to make the leap to fully understand it the way that you've so beautifully articulated. Mm. And the other thing is like, if you want to talk, I think we talk a lot about how like your ego really pipes up, um, when you're on the verge of big change, like when your ego voice is getting really, really, really loud, it's Mm. like, because you are letting an old belief system die. And I just can't help thinking now from the shifted view that you've just helped me have that it's almost like Trump is the American ego. Totally. And and he's like, it's like the ego's fighting like hell to hold on to something that's not real because scarcity is not a real thing. I mean, I'm going to trust that everyone knows how I I mean that because I do know that not everyone has everything that they need and that scarcity does exist in the world. But like in a spiritual sense that Mm -hmm. the ego is so afraid of scarcity and that moving past that belief, letting go of the limiting belief about scarcity Mm -hmm. is a really huge ego death. Mm -hmm. Totally. And, And I think to that point, it's important to remember that America was founded on white supremacist patriarchal ideals. Like we're not, the three of us were not considered 
when they were founding this country. There weren't rights for people of color. There weren't rights for women. And so what Trump is defending is this false identity of who we are. And Obama says this all the time about, um, like, America is this, this great experiment and we are constantly perfecting our union. And I find that to be true. Mm-hmm. Uh, I ha- and I still have hope and optimism in what it's going to look like as we move forward. And it's important to note, too, that, like, you know, the ways that America exerts her power on other countries is also an instance of, like, often looking for love in all the wrong places. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't need... It's like there's room to be... And I want to just, this is a lot, and I just, I don't think anything's going to happen overnight, but I do think that the way that we think about um, the institutions that we're a part of and the way that the world interacts with each other is, like, we have to think about this like this before we can implement anything. Mm-hmm. Um, because fundamentally, systems don't love people. People love people. Mm-hmm. And so if we have people who love people in positions of power the way that systems interact with each other, that's just going to change. It has to. And so it's important to note that what Trump is defending is this outdated ideal of what America is. And it's also important to note that our ego pipes in because it's trying to protect us. Yeah. So like Trump is trying to protect us. And I had this conversation with my dad when I went to Connecticut recently, where he was talking about these people who feel displaced by globalization. Like they feel displaced. Like, Trump is tapping into a segment of the population that's scared. Yeah. And it's not it's not just a like racist, sexist fear. They're fear they're fearful for their livelihoods and they're fearful for their way of life. And so I think it's possible to have compassion for them and to have compassion for the fear that they're feeling without acting on those fears in the way that Trump is suggesting that the country do Mm -hmm. banning Muslims, (laughs) demonizing Mexicans as rapists. Like that's all just like, come on. Like there's just no, there's no logical, there's no logical bridge to where he's going. Well, it's not a matter of logic. Yeah. I was going to say, it's not, it's not logic. And it's like, at least, and it's also making us engaged. Like it's making those of us who are like, okay, well, I don't obviously agree with Trump, but like, how do we engage with those fears? Right. And how do we lean into the discomfort rather than saying, I'm going to close my borders to everything that's discomfort, like uncomfortable. Right. Compassion. I love this whole thing where I'm like thinking about America as a person and Trump is her ego. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, uh, it's just like changed my life. <laughs> It's just real. <laughs> it well, is. and it's so, like, <laughs> oh, go ahead, go ahead. Well, no, it's just like countries are complicated. Yeah. But what's not complicated is like ultimately what we all want as people. We just want to be loved. We just want to feel safe. We just want to feel resourced. And mm-hmm. so, it's just and like in the matter of scarcity, what you were saying before, Tyler, like spiritual scarcity is not a real thing. That's not a real thing. Mm-hmm. There's no part of me that believes that like, like I, I can sit here and know that within me, there's an infinite presence that matches the infinite presence within both of you and every single person on the planet. And I can sit here and know that when we react from anything but that presence, like we're going to be inclined towards 
like being greedy. Like, oh, I have to keep this for myself because if I don't have this, then I'm not going to, you know, someone else is going to have it and I'm not going to be okay. Like I can sit here and know all of that. And I can also sit in here and know, like I lived in Baltimore for a time. Baltimore is a city that makes me so sad. Mm-hmm. It's just, and in general, like my boyfriend and I tour my, I didn't say this before. I have a band with my boyfriend who's incredible. And we toured last year across America. And then you drive through these cities and you realize how different they are. And they're different because of the amount of resources that go to, towards them. And communities of color are under-resourced. And so scarcity is thinking that it needs to be that way. Mm-hmm. Honesty is looking at that and being like, we need to do something about that. Mm-hmm. And if the government won't do it, that's fine. Like, this isn't, this is like increasingly what... I have, like, things that I think about. (laughs) It's like, the government's not doing it. That's fine. But then I have my power as a human being, you know. And like I said before, my obligation is to make sure that I'm okay, have a strong foundation, make sure that I'm resourced, use all of my gifts, use all the things that are available to me to, like, then create in the world and then do a lot of good for a lot of people from that vantage point. And so... The government's not going to help those cities. I can help those cities. Not right now. (laughs) Not right now. (laughs) But, like, in the future. And if I empower myself in that way, then why can't other people? Like, why can't we look for the people who need help and help them? And, like, going back to the Democratic Convention, because this is where we initially started talking about, I've been so helped and so supported by so many strangers. It's bananas. Mm -hmm. Like, it's bananas, um, my whole life. And it's just made me realize how powerful, like, a single person can be in your story. And so I'm so grateful for that. And paying that forward is like, for me, it's like, obviously, that's obviously what I'm going to do. Because I know how integral other people were in me getting to this point. And so... It's like everything that's happening with our country, trying to fix it all, trying to like police what Donald Trump is saying, trying to like argue with people who are expressing hateful commentary in comment sections, trying to like fight white supremacy and patriarchy and all the other, you know, homophobia, transphobia, um, Islamophobia, anti-Semitism. There's so many different ways to hate people trying to fight that. Uh, is a losing battle. Yeah, because then all your energy is gone. Yeah, it's not about us. You have to realize people's hatred is not about the people that they're hating. Mm -hmm. They're reflecting their own views about themselves. And so, like, I'm rooting for their healing. (laughs) I'm rooting for... I am. I mean that so sincerely. I have so much love for all the Trump supporters. I have so much love for Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. Because clearly, like, he's hurting. I hope he figures it out. I really do. Am I going to let the ways that he's expressing that hurt change how I feel about myself, how I feel about my worth, how I feel about my country? No, I'm not. Because that's a boundary. You talk about the Black Lives Matter movement saying, stop killing us. That's a boundary. Stop it. Mm -hmm. We're worth more than that. We're worth more than the current circumstances. And so rather than try and fight like all of these forms of oppression... I'm interested in growing all the goodness that's in me 
and like allowing, like we've talked about, you know, I know when, when you're like moving through the world and there's like, like, I believe in energy. I do. I believe that like there's energy everywhere. Um, just, it's just, you, you can't live the life that I've lived thus far and believe in anything but magic and believe in anything but love. Like just can't, it's just, this is logical for me. And so I really believe that focusing on the love and on the light and grounding in that and creating from that, not just creating in terms of artistry, but like creating your life from that, finding joy and focusing on how you can bring joy to your life. Like that's how you actually fight these things. Cause they're not, it's, it's a distraction in so many ways to spend your life trying to be legitimized in the, the views of people who are intent on delegitimizing you. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's okay if America can't love me right now. That's okay. It's fine. It's okay if this country, if our culture can't see me fully right now. That's fine. I'm going to focus on loving and seeing myself. And I'm going to trust that everybody else who's like struggling with loving themselves and reacting in will find what they're looking for when they stop, when they look at themselves. Cause that's, there's probably pain there. There's like probably stuff to work through there. And I'm just speaking, you know, again, and I know, I know what happens when you realize that you've been spending all your time looking for love outside of yourself. Like I know, I know the, the dead end <laughs> that that results in. And so I just have faith. Um, I'm sending good vibes. There's nothing but love here. And you know, I'm optimistic. I think this is a big moment for not just the country, but for humanity. Cause this is happening everywhere, mm-hmm. yeah. everywhere. People are like, oppressive thought forms, oppressive institutions, oppressive ways of thinking are rising to the surface. Well, they're ready to be cleared. Hopefully. Yeah. Exactly. All right. So Hillary. So yeah, let's just talk. I'm excited about Hillary. So we can't have this whole podcast episode without talking about her. Cause then I'll feel sad. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't really have anything to say. Sarah, I just, what do you have to say? You want to hear what I think about Hillary? That's yeah, or, I mean, I like the vein that, of the conversation that we're having. Um, so I don't think that we need to get too much back into the political, but like, that's fine. You know, I, I mean, mean, I can talk about Hillary and love too, because I mean, my feelings about Hillary are complex, <laughs> which my feelings about Obama are complex too. Um, but I can still love Hillary. I was unexpectedly emotional during the Democratic National Convention this year when she got nominated. Yeah. Um, Me too. I was surprised. I was like, ooh, I didn't know that was going to... I didn't know I felt those feelings. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, that's real. Um, and I, I... I recognized in that moment that there are things that Hillary does and ways that she is that probably trigger me because there are parts of myself that I... Um, either deny or I admire her for. So like the way that she is, she's a powerful woman, Mm -hmm. you know, who like deals with sexism all the time Mm -hmm. and asserts herself in the presence of that. And so I found like newfound appreciation for that. 
And again, I'm rooting for Hillary too. That said, my relationship with Hillary, my relationship, like we're friends, <laughs> but like my introduction to her in a, in a tangible real way was eight years ago. Um, and I've struggled because while, while she will say things now, like, um, you know, Donald Trump's not just dog whistling. He's just saying the things dog whistling being like, uh, saying something that has a, a racial undertone. Oh yeah. I know about mm. this cause I heard about it on an episode of sampler. Yeah. That was great. Podcast. It was a great episode. Yeah. <laughs> so she said that and it's hard for me to hear that because the Hillary Clinton campaign was dog whistling left and right eight years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard for me to hear that because Bill Clinton's administration is responsible for jailing more black people for nonviolent drug crimes than anybody else. Well, I'm interested to know, because we mm -hmm. have talked about the strength and courage that it takes to grow and change as you meet new people in new situations. Totally. Do you feel like that, do you hold it as an actual evolution or do you see it as pandering? I hope that it's an evolution. I'm rooting for it to be an evolution. I think that Hillary Clinton is so smart and like so capable and so experienced. Like I, and I believe the people who believe in her, like I believe in them. Um, even though it's a little harder for me to believe in her. Um, that said, I do believe in her. I'm so hopeful that she becomes a president who like, like again, Bill Clinton incarcerated a lot of black people. Uh, wouldn't it be amazing if Hillary Clinton is the one that comes through and writes that? It would be so amazing in so many ways. No, totally. And so I'm optimistic about all of that. Well, I read something, a gorgeous article the other day that my friend Emma shared on Facebook, and it was talking about how a lot of the, like, public kind of dislikes Hillary, even if they're, like, behind her. (laughs) They Mm. don't necessarily like her. Um, but there's this weird gap where it's like anyone who's ever worked for her adores her and is fiercely loyal to her. Right. And the thing that I was reading was talking about how it's because Hillary is not great at getting up in front of a crowd and she's not like immediately personable and a great like public speaker, but she listens Yeah. and she honors other people's points of view. And she says, you know, I don't, I'm going to talk to all of the smartest people I know about this and then I'm going to form an opinion. And that's like a skill that's hard to showcase. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but as we're talking about kind of like the larger principles, like, okay, if Donald Trump's the ego, I feel almost like, I mean, not to get too cheesy. And I know this is like on the edge of being too cheesy, but Mm -hmm. if Donald Trump's the ego is Hillary, the part of us, of America, that's like, you know, I'm actually curious to learn more about that before I decide what my truth is. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm when hopeful. I view it that way, I'm like, oh, heck yes, Hillary. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not to say that I agree with all of her policies or anything, but I also, I do believe in her. I mean, that's beautiful. That's great. And again, like, it's like if I can have faith in Donald Trump's evolution, then I can obviously and most certainly have faith in Hillary Clinton's evolution. Mm-hmm. And I can obviously and most certainly root for and, uh, like, hold space for and be optimistic about her ability to grow and evolve and change and do it in a way that helps our country grow and evolve and change. Mm-hmm. 
in some ways, it's more hurtful for me. Like, so I was talking about white supremacy before and talking about patriarchy. Um, like white feminism is a thing too, where there's this, like, in some ways it hurts more because it's like, well, you know how it feels to be unseen and you know how it feels to be oppressed. And so how could it be that in advocating for yourself, you're still capable of not seeing and oppressing me? Mm-hmm. And so, like, if anything, that's my real feeling for Tilly. And again, I'm, I'm optimistic. There's some really beautiful moments at the Democratic National Convention over, overall. I mean, I watched a, a lot world. of it. It would yeah. be Michelle. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I love Michelle. Yeah. You know, Michelle like, if we all had our way, Michelle Obama would be the next president. Definitely. <laughs> Even though I really get the sense she doesn't want that at oh, all. No, so, not yeah. I hope that Michelle gets all her dreams. <laughs> she's way too smart for that. She's like, oh, hell no. no. Totally. So I guess I say all of that to say that, like, I'm probably hurt by Hillary a little bit more. Just, and again, like, I was front and center during the 2008 campaign, a lot of things were said and done that were just so bewildering to me. Um, and like Bill Clinton has said and done a lot of things too. And he's like actually passed policies. Like don't ask, don't tell came from Bill Clinton. Um, like he passed legislation that incarcerated a generation of, of black people for nonviolent drug crimes. Like that's a real thing that happened. And so it hurts more when it comes from people that seem to be predisposed to like like the Democratic Party as a, as a whole, there's this notion that it's the big tent and everybody gets seen and everybody is loved. And then there's the intricacies of the instances where that doesn't happen out of expediency or convenience or because you don't want to you don't want to do too much and end up, you know, scaring too many people who don't immediately resonate with all of that. And so if I'm more hesitant talking about Hillary, that's why. Um, do I believe and do I hope that she is like gonna be a powerful force of good in the world of course i do and so i mean it's all complicated everybody is complicated is the reality mm-hmm. of everything but i stay hopeful <laughs> yeah the thing that i keep thinking about um is when we're talking about relationships and like your level of evolution matching your partners and like the the static and the anger and frustration that can come up if that's your expectation. Like you better grow as fast as me and you better grow in the same direction or else it's like we're coming up against, that's another thing that we're coming up against in this election cycle. And I think that that's one of the things that Sanders versus Clinton represented was like, Mm. how fast am I growing and how fast is the country ready to grow? And how fast are you, you know, going to grow as my leader and, all of these things coming up against each other and really like, that's not the way to have any relationship. (laughs) So like, it's not going to work on a national level either, because if you, if you gave that ultimatum to your partner, your partner would probably be like, well, then I guess this is over because I don't, I can't guarantee that. Right. So, and that's where compassion comes into play. Cause it's like, Compassion, like I, I have to have compassion not only for Hillary Clinton, but also for myself mm-hmm. and also for the people that like, you know, are going around being like, well, Trump is better for the revolution. It's like, okay, I'm going to have compassion for you because <laughs> you're hurt. You don't feel seen. Like I just compassion yeah. is just the thing. This is like, yeah. yeah, like this is the most important thing to do 
Just moving forward, especially right now when it's things feel turbulent and things feel uncertain and things feel scary. Like just have compassion for everybody involved for, and especially for yourself. Cause you're just doing, we're all doing the best that we can, mm-hmm. you know, like Hillary Clinton's doing the best that she can. Donald Trump is doing the best that he can. And so I think that being generous with our thoughts, being generous with our spirit, like all of that makes it better. I was thinking when you were talking about Bill Clinton, I don't want right. to minimize any of the harm done by those policies. But, you know, in the same way that Donald Trump and Hillary are doing the best that they can, he did the best that he could at the time with what he had. And I think about myself and my own life and, like, looking back on some <laughs> of the decisions that I've made in my life, like, they were highly questionable and put me in real danger sometimes. <laughs> like, physical danger. And I know, but, and, and it's, it's just like, on one hand, it seems almost like an oversimplification, right. but on the other mm-hmm. hand, it's the exact same thing. And, mm-hmm. and it's only with That's compassion totally. that you can hold it that way. But it's also, so then on the flip side though, it's also compassion for all of the people who feel rightly wronged by Bill Clinton and by America. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you go into these communities that are yeah. so under-resourced. Well, there was yeah. one time when we were driving in Baltimore, my boyfriend and I, on our way home from practice, and there was a man who was barefoot, and he just walked in front of our car, looked up at the sky, and started screaming. And it's like, what do you do with that? Mm-hmm. Like, what do you do with that? Other than, like, like I saw him. I, like, I just, like, what do you do with that? And, like, having compassion for the people where that's what they feel like, mm-hmm. where there's, like, this sense of despair and sadness and desperation. And, like, I had a conversation with Solara, who you both know. Yay! Um, <laughs> this is like, a long time ago, but it really stuck with me mm-hmm. about how there's two kinds of ego, inferior ego and superior ego. So, like, superior ego is, like, Donald Trump, right, where he's trying to feed his ego by being better than other people and attacking other people. An inferior ego is someone who feeds their ego by attacking themselves. Mm -hmm. And so I just think it's so important to recognize that like, like it's easy to judge people and to judge communities and to like judge the person who turns to like self-medicating or turns to any, any kind of, solution to their circumstances that, you know, you like there's the instinct to turn your nose up at it. It's easy to judge them. It's a lot harder to like feel what they're feeling and to like, like there's no amount of words to adequately convey, you know, with police brutality specifically. Cause that's like, again, there's just, like, what do you do when the people who are meant to protect your community are killing your friends and family members, are killing little boys and girls? Like, what do you do with that? And it doesn't, and by asking that question, it no, in no way discounts having compassion and seeing the humanity of those people who take jobs like that to protect and to serve. It's just complicated. Like, what do you do? Mm-hmm. Well, and I think compassion, again, is the only answer. Right. But then on the flip side, it's also feel your feelings. 
Yeah. You know? Like... We've been talking a lot about that lately. Yeah. It's important. So, like, I've gone through every kind of emotion, and I'm an emotional human being. So, like, this is all the time I'm feeling my feelings. I feel despair. I feel rage. I feel misunderstood. I feel scared. I feel everything. I just feel it. And rather than, like, this in no way am I suggesting let's all be compassionate and sweep everything under the rug. Like, no, we have to feel our feelings. We have to have really hard conversations about this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And those conversations are going to go a lot further and do a lot more good when they're paired with the intention of seeing each other. And, like, Obama talked about this during the speech on race that he gave uh, in 2008 after controversy. I cried. cry a lot. Um, (laughs) But there is an empathy deficit when... We can't see ourselves in the eyes of one another. Like, that really resonated with me. Um, and yet Obama, you know, my one of my more disillusioned moments of this president was when he went to, uh, I'm pretty sure it's Howard University, which is a historically black college. And in the presence of these graduates, gave a speech in which he was like, you know, you can't can't be lazy like you can't just sit around and expect things to happen and like he's at that point he's speaking to a stereotype of black america right mm-hmm. he's like speaking to this thing that gets said about black people but he's doing it in the presence of these graduates who are celebrating this accomplishment of their lives and so what's been hard for me to this is hard <laughs> to like recognize is that you know, Obama is as human as I am. So I can say like really insightful, profound, wise things, but I can also have like small and petty moments. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like I can still get triggered. I can still say the wrong thing. I can still offend someone. I can still not see someone. I'm human. So like, I was very hurt by when he did that. Um, because this is the man that said we have an empathy deficit when we can't see ourselves in the eyes of one another. I was like, what are you, what? Like, that doesn't, it doesn't add up. You can't say that and then refuse to empathize with these people by, like, patronizing at them. Like, it doesn't, it does, that doesn't add up to me. And yet, the reality is that, you know, he and everyone, it doesn't matter how quote unquote powerful someone is, how much their resource, how much money they have, what their status in life is, we are all equally powerful. I believe that with my whole heart. Um, We're all equally capable of speaking truth to powerful institutions, and that makes us powerful. Um, And so all of that to say, like, it doesn't matter who we're talking to, we're talking about, they're all humans. We all make mistakes. We all, you know... I've said a whole bunch of things that I just don't believe anymore because I didn't know better. I did the best that I could with the information that I had. And so, um, yeah, be compassionate, feel your feelings and empathize. I think that's my prescription for, you know, how to help America through this moment, mm-hmm. like as individuals, cause you don't, you don't need to do a big thing. It's like having a profound impact on someone's life who's in your presence like, that's still powerful. That still is you being powerful. Well, and if we all do that at every opportunity that we have to do that, mm-hmm. that will change oh, the totally. world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Totally. Sarah, mm-hmm. looking back eight years ago today, 
if you had to tell us how you're feeling now about the experience mm. in one word, what would you say? I'm grateful. I've just been thinking that the whole time we've been talking. And I thought that before we even started talking, because I'm like in my home and my boyfriend was helping me get the equipment set up to do this. And I'm like, where am I? <laughs> what is my life? <laughs> it's just, if you had told that little girl eight years ago that this is where she'd be eight years from now, she would have been like, what? You're on drugs. <laughs> like, there's just no way. Um, yeah, I feel that way too when I'm like, if my younger self knew yeah. where I would be and who I would be. Yeah. It all makes sense in retrospect, though. Yeah. It's like, oh, obviously that happened. <laughs> um, no, I feel very grateful um, for all of it. I feel like I feel grateful for the ways in which, you know, Obama and Trump and Clinton all trigger me and help me see the aspects of myself that need attention and need healing and need you know, like really just like, I need to have these conversations with myself to make sense of them in such a way that I can feel good going out into the world and doing the work that I'm here to do. Um, and so I'm really grateful to all of them for the ways that they get things wrong. <laughs> um, and the ways that they double down when they are wrong. Cause it's just, it's like contrast is such a powerful teacher and I do, I do believe that one day, I believe this, I really do, one day, things are going to be infinitely better. Mm. And I think it's going to happen in our lifetimes. That was my next question. Do you think that we will get to see it? Yeah, I do. And we're going to look back on this, you know, and we're going we're gonna to see each other. Like, all of us are going to see each other, really. We're going to look back on this and be like, do you remember when we were all being so crazy? We were so silly. Yeah. Do you remember? And it's like, and I'd laugh at it, but it's also like so many people have died and have suffered and have fought and have marched and have walked and have woken up the next day and like put themselves back in an uncomfortable situation so that we could do this work now. Mm -hmm. yeah. What a beautiful way to look at that. Yeah. It just feels it. I, I wrote this back in like 2009 and I believe that this is true. Um, I was talking earlier about how at the convention it was like Obama's election was just the impossible thing that we made happen. And I do think that that has had, um, an impact on our generation and on our perception of what is possible for ourselves. And so you hear the, the like saying that we stand on the shoulders of the people who came before us and our generation, we do, we stand on the shoulders of Barack Obama and you don't need to like, he doesn't need to resonate with you in order for that to be true. You get to, we've witnessed something that was quote impossible happen and something that like has unearthed, all of this other stuff that so desperately has required our attention for so long. And now we're able to look at it and, and deal with it. And so I just think sometime 
can just look back on all of this and we're just going to feel increasingly grateful that we get to participate in it. We're all like, we're all participants. We're all equal participants just by being here and being open. And so that's how I really feel. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. The, I am blown away by the level to which you have engaged with these things. Mm -hmm. It's been like, this conversation has been such a gift to me. Well, for me too. I like, it's so interesting because it's, it's not that I'm embarrassed of this chapter in my life because I'm not, it's just that like my life now feels so different. Um, I, for our listeners, I have a rock band. I sing and play drums in a rock band called Music Bones. Um, and my life now is like, I get to spend time with myself <laughs> thinking of the things that I think about and writing songs about them and like just growing by virtue of creating. And so the Obama experience feels so different than what I'm up to right now. And yet it so informs who I am. Um, and so it's similarly a gift for me to have been able to do this because I wouldn't have done this otherwise. I'm just like, you know, there are days where I'm like, I'm mad at Obama. This election sucks. <laughs> like, I'm uninterested. Yeah. In, you know? And so I'm grateful to you both for having me on to talk about Yay. all this. <laughs> Yay. <sighs> what else? What else is there? <laughs> <laughs> um, well... Sarah, also, we want to thank you for being our sound editor, because we didn't say that at the beginning. Yeah. Um, but I think that it's important for our listeners to know that you are an integral part of making this podcast a reality, and how thankful I am for you. Mm-hmm. Um, so thank you for that. Thank yeah. you for coming on talk to, talking to us. Yeah, definitely. Thank um, you. If, if the people want to find you, well, Sally, do you have anything you want to say? No, I just love life. <laughs> that's always my I, I always say Sally do you have anything to say and you're always like I'm just taking it off I am <laughs> well okay alright so then Sarah if people want to find you on the internet and follow you and listen to your music and yeah, just fall in love with you in every possible way how can they find you well um, we're releasing new music soon actually so mm-hmm. if you would like to sign up for email updates on when that's happening, um, you can go to www.musicbones, some music, B-O-N-E-S, music.com. Um, you can follow Music Bones on Facebook and Instagram and Tumblr. We don't tweet. You can follow... I mean, maybe someday we will, but, like, I don't know. I'm a little over That's, Twitter. like, the theme. We're like, we have Twitter. We don't tweet. No, I'm like, I don't know. Maybe someday. I just, I'm not a very, like, brevity is not my thing. So, like, Twitter has never been my thing. <laughs> if, um, if you guys can't tell by the link of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> so, there's that. And you can follow me on Instagram, primarily. Oh, yeah, on Instagram at, at Sarah Hail Merriam. I'm assuming yeah. it's fine. We're going to put it in the show yeah. notes. We'll put it all in the notes. Yeah. Cool. Woo. Mm-hmm. <gasps> Sally. Okay. Where can the people find you? People can find me at Sally Simply on social media. 
and at sallymercedes.com for my writing and music or singing. I keep saying music lately. I don't know why. I don't. I think well, it's maybe you're supposed before. to be making music. <laughs> yeah, Sally, it's a thing. I thought that last episode when you did it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. me too. So for my writing and my forthcoming music (laughs) and on unmutedexpression.com for my work in the world. That's not those two things (laughs) for everything else. Uh, Tyla, where can people find you? I'm at tylafowler.com. I'm on Facebook and my Instagram is Tyla M Fowler M for Megan because that's my middle name. We should make that. We should make a t-shirt that says that. M for Megan, because that's my middle yeah, name. I like it. I like how you say it. <laughs> it's funny. Well, it's because now I'm like, now it was like funny the first time, and now it's becoming like a shtick. Yeah, I like um, it, though. <laughs> anyway, so... And you can follow Zena like Hall. Our, yeah, 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 yeah. At Z-Y-N-A-H-E-L on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. She provides our intro-outro music. And you can follow us on all of social media at A Year Ago Podcast. And you can email us at a year ago podcast at gmail.com. We love hearing from you. We love having you as listeners. We're just thrilled to be. I'm doing a happy dance. Oh, yay. We're just thrilled to be experiencing this with you and to be learning with you and growing with you and witnessing you when you let us witness you, which is a treat. Ah, that's it, guys. We did good. I loved all of this. Oh my gosh. I was hanging out with these girls yesterday who listened to the podcast and I said, oh boy, at one point and <laughs> they were like, ah, well, just one of them, not both but Jonna was like, oh, you just said, oh boy. <laughs> I was like, yeah, it's a real thing. They say it too much. I love it. All right. So hit us up with all of your thoughts about the election yeah. and about Donald Trump being America's ego. Yeah. I'm really I'm curious. like, when are we going to start getting uh, mail from people who are triggered by what we have to say. Do people, I'm not, I don't know that people often do that though. I think that that's expecting a lot of them. Do you email people when you, they trigger you? <laughs> I don't know. I do. Yeah. <laughs> I think I call your girlfriend. They're always like, don't email us about this. I assume though, if people are triggered, they probably just turn us off. Yeah, that's true. All right. Let's end this recording. Great. <laughs> All right. Bye. <laughs> <Peace out. laughs>